You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, We've talked about Alan Chambers on this show before. He has, for 20 years, been the head of Exodus International. That is the organization that claims that they can cure gay people through prayer. That is the organization that has been telling gay people for 20 years that change is possible and they can give you freedom. I'm quoting, freedom from the homosexual lifestyle. Well, last week, Alan Chambers, head of Exodus International, America's oldest and biggest pray away the gay ministry – the world's oldest and biggest pray away the gay ministry, made waves when he told us all something we already knew. Ex-gays are not ex-gay. Quoting from the New York Times, Mr. Chambers said that virtually every ex-gay he has ever met still harbors homosexual cravings, himself included. Mr. Chambers, who left the gay life to marry and have two children, said that gay Christians like himself faced a lifelong spiritual struggle to avoid sin, and should not be afraid to admit it. The end. Now, if Exodus and other ex-gay ministries can't make gay men straight, if they can't pray away the gay, what can they do for us? According to Chambers, Exodus and Jesus can help us struggle against our natural, inborn, unprayawayable desires for love and intimacy and companionship and a partnership so that we can hold our lunch down long enough to marry opposite-sex partners, and maybe, if we're lucky, crap out a couple of kids with them, like Alan. With Exodus's help, gay people can live as heterosexuals, even if we're not, you know, actually heterosexuals. And we never will be, not with his help, not with anyone's help, because we can't change, because we will always be gay. But to live that heterosexual lifestyle, says Alan, you have got to want to live a heterosexual lifestyle. You've got to want it desperately. Where have we heard this shit before? Now it's my turn. And ready or not, Michael, here goes. You're a sad and pathetic man. You're a homosexual and you don't want to be. But there's nothing you can do to change it. Not all your prayers to your God. Not all the analysis you can buy in all the years you've got left to live. You may very well one day be able to know a heterosexual life, if you want it desperately enough. If you pursue it with the fervor with which you annihilate. But you'll always be homosexual as well. Always, Michael. Always. That, of course, is from The Boys in the Band, the 1969 play by Matt Crowley about some homosexuals at a birthday party in New York, and they're all sort of vicious. It's, for those of you who may not have seen it, imagine who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with a bunch of cocksuckers tearing into each other. And the play ends basically right there with Harold saying to Michael, you will always be a homosexual, Michael. Always. So we've gone really full circle with these Exodus assholes. We've gone from Boys in the Band which was a huge cultural phenomenon that took place that opened a year before the Stonewall riots. We've gone through 40 years of the gay rights movement and 40 years of an anti-gay backlash funded by the religious right and 20 years of this ex-gay bullshit movement, this fraudulent bullshit ex-gay movement that promised freedom from homosexuality only to arrive back where we started. Alan Chambers is a sad and pathetic man. He's a homosexual and he doesn't want to be, but there's nothing he can do to change it. Not all the prayers to his God can change it. Still, Alan Chambers knows a heterosexual life because he wants it desperately enough. But Alan Chambers and all those other ex-gays out there are still homosexuals and they always will be. Always. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by Stack Soap, a wildly revolutionary soap product. Stack Soap has a divot in it to hold the soap sliver left over from your last bar of soap. And when you press that sliver into the new bar of soap, it forms a whole and complete new bar, a process that repeats forever. It is infinity soap. 
To learn more, go to stacksoap.com, www.stacksoap.com. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old bisexual woman in an open marriage. My husband and I have our open and honest communication down, but don't always find the same as true of our partners or potential partners. I've had two experiences so far where details were revealed later than I would have liked, both for people I met online. In the first instance, someone I was on a second date with revealed that they had genital herpes when our fooling around was clearly going to lead to sex. He hadn't had an outbreak for years and had the virus under control. I appreciated his disclosure and we still had sex with a condom. However, I'd already gone down on him during our first date with no such disclosure coming first. Should he have told me sooner? In the second instance, I went on a fairly chaste first date with someone, and when I received a follow-up message from them, they revealed that they lie about their age and their online profile by five years to keep themselves under their perceived 40-year-old threshold for online dating. I found the defensiveness with which he came clean a little off-putting, even though I don't consider his real age a problem. So my question is, how much of a white lie is acceptable when getting to know a new person or on first dates? Or is any amount of fudging an indication that the person shouldn't be trusted? Well, taking them one at a time, the failure to disclose before sexual contact that you have a sexually transmittable infection that is incurable uh, isn't a white lie. It is a giant omission. It is a lie by omission and kind of a dark lie uh, of omission. That you know, So he should have told you. Yes, he should have told you before you blew him that he had herpes, genital herpes. That said – you know, herpes is so common and so many people have herpes that do not know they have herpes, who've never had any symptoms of herpes, that it is almost an irrational expectation on the part of people who are either swinging or having multiple sex partners that they can just through the magic of asking or the expectation that people with herpes will automatically disclose, protect themselves from any risk or exposure uh, to herpes herpes like HPV is almost something that if you're going to have multiple sex partners, you're kind of not signing yourself up for or destined to become exposed to and acquire but something that is – it's a known risk and it's a big risk and it's likelier than not if you have multiple sex partners that you will be exposed to herpes HPV. That does not mean – exposure does not mean contraction, that you may be exposed to it and not contract the virus, not yourself be infected. But you can't be out there in the world having an open relationship and many, many partners and then be shocked or melt into a puddle on the floor when you realize that you've slept with someone who has herpes because before this guy told you he had herpes, after you slept with him, you probably slept with lots of other guys depending on how many guys you slept with who've had herpes who didn't know they had herpes. Because most people who are infected, who have been exposed, are asymptomatic and do not know they have it and may not have ever had an outbreak or may have had an outbreak once that they didn't even realize it was a herpes outbreak and so they've never been treated, blah, blah, blah. We have to weigh the risks versus the rewards, the risks of exposure, the risks of certain sexually transmitted infections against the rewards of sexual adventure, sexual pleasure, a kick-ass sex life and then come to a decision about whether those risks are worth those rewards. He should have disclosed. You can't be naive though about your risks of being exposed to herpes when you're out there in the world having open relationships and multiple sex partners. OK. Lying about age. That is a white lie. That previous lie, not so white. This lie, totally white and almost just as you should expect that many of your sex partners, if you're out there in the world having sex with multiple partners who are they themselves having sex with multiple partners, um, that herpes is something that you are – going to encounter the risk for exposure to, if not the acquisition of, being out there in the world online, everybody lies a little bit about their age online for the most part. A lot of people shave a few years off. I would almost assume if I was online dating that the person I just met through their ad was older than they claimed to be until I saw their driver's license and learned for a fact uh, that they were telling the truth unlike everybody else online when it came to their age. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a 30-year-old straight male, and I've got this issue with, with webcams. Um, a couple years ago, I found out that I got incredibly turned on by being on a webcam. Uh, there are a couple of sites which allow you to broadcast yourself 
you know, as anonymously as, as you are being, you know, fully naked with your face to the world. But, you know, there's sort of a feeling of an anonymity with it because it is the web and, you know, the chances of being discovered are pretty slim. Anyway, it really gets me going, but the problem is twofold. First, uh, I, I can't help but think that with the majority of people in the world who believe in monogamy, that this will, that this is considered to be a breach of monogamy and therefore something that needs to be talked about. Um, or or not talked about or or prevented depending on you know the boundaries of the relationship. Uh, that's problem number one, and that that sort of you know that creates an issue there. And problem number two is that I find it incredibly addictive um, to the point where I tried to limit my access to webcams. I've disabled the webcam on my computer. I've you know I've, I've, for periods, and one of the reasons why I'm talking to you now is because I just got a new computer and there, there's a new webcam, and I spent. You know, a lot of time with it this weekend to the point where, you know, it interfered with work, interfered with social activities. Um, you know, it was fun. I, you know, had a great time using it. But, you know, afterwards I was like, man, was there not a better way I could be using my time, such as with a real person? Um, you know, and it, and it just feels like, you know, using a webcam until I'm so sore I can't touch myself anymore is not healthy. So I guess, you know, there are two questions there. First, your feeling on, you know, that gray area as to whether or not a webcam, you know, is cheating um, on a potential partner. And two, uh, given my specific situation, whether or not you think I should continue to take steps to just limit it the way, you know, an alcoholic takes, you know, alcohol out of the house. Or if you have suggested some way that I can actually control the urge, because for now, it it is almost completely overwhelming for me um, and difficult to stay away from it. Thanks so much. The standard advice for a question like this, is this cheating, is, well, it's cheating if your partner feels it's cheating, so you need to, this is something you have to discuss with your partner. But there are fucking batshit, insane, jealous, possessive, nutbag partners out there who regard, I get letters, masturbation as cheating. I caught my boyfriend masturbating and I feel like he's cheating on me. Like, uh. And I've heard from men, too, who feel that way. I caught my wife cheating, reading Fifty Shades of Grey and masturbating and... As if reading Fifty Shades of Grey and masturbating is cheating. And so just putting it all on the partner and letting this person – giving them all this power to decide what is and isn't cheating to me seems like a slippery slope. Uh, And what if you end up with a very controlling partner who isn't down with your sexual expression or you having any sort of sexual freedom or your own erotic inner life at all? And what else can they veto? That said – I do think that you can have this be a part of your life and a healthy part of your sexual expression. Um, you need to present it that way. I, I think what you – if I were you, what I would say to a girlfriend is I'm a bit of an exhibitionist and here's how I've expressed it. Online, it's a safe – out, you know, it's a totally safe outlet. And who knows? You may find a girl who's also a bit of an exhibitionist. Not all potential girlfriends, wives, spouses are, you know, sexual sourpusses with their arms folded in front of their chests, slowly shaking their heads back and forth, you know, at the men in their lives. There are lots of women out there who are exhibitionists. Please go to XTube. Look around. Uh, date one of them. Find an exhibitionist like you uh, who can appreciate this. And they're out there. And they would be a great partner for you, a partner in crime, but also a partner in perhaps controlling this and making sure that you're not overindulging. I think your previous MO about disabling the webcam on your computer was a really good idea. And you should do that again. And you shouldn't beat yourself up too badly for this weekend. You got a new computer, had a webcam, and you went a little crazy. You binged. If this goes on for another year like this, then you've clearly got a problem. But that you got a new computer and you haven't done this for a while and you went a little nuts, give yourself a break. Then go and disable your webcam on your computer or get some sort of webcam set up for your computer that's external so that you can not have that webcam staring you in the face every time you open your laptop. And when you want to bust out the webcam, it requires a little bit of effort to go and get it, to set it all up so that you you know put limits on yourself. Yes, it is, as you say, like being an alcoholic who doesn't keep – booze in the house or being somebody not enough you know you don't want to use the alcoholic comparison because alcoholics should never drink but somebody who when there is booze in the house tends to get a little blotto at times when it's going to interfere with social life interfere with work you don't keep booze in the house then for the same reason i don't keep oreos in the house so yeah i think you should revert to your previous strategy disable the webcam on your computer 
after having fun with your new computer and having a bingey weekend, overindulging, recognize that it being too easy to indulge is a problem. So make it a little more difficult. Disable the webcam. Get some external webcam thing that you can put away in a drawer and forget about so that it's a bit of an effort when you want to haul it out. The webcam, I mean. And then go for it because uh, that will make it less likely for you to, to overindulge, to do it all the time. But that you, that you really love this and every once in a while you want to like spend 24 hours really just cranking it out in front of the webcam. I don't think that has to be a problem. Make it a little more difficult. Throw some obstacles in your own path. Keep it to a low roar. Recognizing as you have your propensity to go a little crazy, make it hard to go crazy. Hard. And enjoy. Soap, we all need it. Some of us need it more than others. Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, I'm talking to you. But you think you know soap, you don't know soap because soap has changed. Stack Soap has an indentation in it that allows you to put the sliver left over from your last bar into the new bar, forming a completely whole brand new new bar again, which means no more waste. Stack Soap is infinity soap. It just goes on and on forever and ever. And if you order it on Amazon.com, you get free shipping. It's made with Jehovah oil, so it's safe for sensitive skin, and no animal products are used in its production, so you can use Stack Soap and sleep at night. You can learn more about Stack Soap in the Kickstarter campaign that got them started by going to www.stacksoap.com. Hi, Dan. My name is Courtney, and I'm in Kansas, and I am 25 years old and been with my boyfriend for six years and I've kind of we've had like a really good sex life in the beginning but it's kind of um, dwindling and primarily my fault because I'm having a lot of self body issues and I just really despise looking at myself and don't understand how anybody would be attracted to me and so I just cringe at the thought of him seeing me and so that's obviously really affecting sex. Um, I was wondering if you could give me any advice on how I can work through some of my body image issues because he tells me I'm sexy and he wants me and uh, he doesn't understand why I despise myself the way I do. But, you know, I've tried to put that thought out of my mind, but I'm having some trouble with that. So I was wondering if you could kind of help me out with the whole body image issue. Thank you. Joining me on the phone, Hannah Blank, author and historian. Her most recent book is Straight, The Surprisingly Short History of Heterosexuality. She's also the author of Big, Big Love, a book on sex and relationships oriented toward fat folks and the people who are attracted to them. Thanks for jumping on the phone with us, Hannah. Thanks for having me on. It's going well. Thanks. So you, you got a chance to listen to this call. What would your advice uh, to this girl be? She's, I mean, not a girl, 25 years old. She's a woman. What's your advice to her? She is bigger and her boyfriend's into her, into her body, attracted to her, and she's revolted by her own body and so can't believe that anybody would be attracted to her. How does somebody Yeah, I actually, I couldn't tell what size she was from her call, and, um, and that I think is really kind of instructive and important. Um, because I have heard these comments from women of all weights and all sizes and all shapes and all appearances. And that whole, I think that I'm so hideous that I can't believe that anybody else would be into me, that's usually shorthand for something is really wrong with my life and I'm very unhappy. Um, it has more often, in my experience, to do with people being just generally unhappy with, with what's going on for them in their lives, their experience with their body, how they're feeling, their health, whatever it is, than with any specific number on a scale or any clothing size or anything like that. Because I do, I li you know, I've heard this from women who weigh 110 pounds. I've heard this from women who weigh 410 pounds and everywhere in between. If that's not what it's about, it's about not feeling comfortable in your skin and not being happy with your life. How does she get comfortable in her skin? You know, people have to figure that out for themselves in some ways, but there are some things that I recommend. One is that first you do your homework and you figure out what it is that's really bothering you. Um, maybe she's not into her boyfriend. Maybe she's stopped being attractive to him and she's reflecting that back on herself and she's sort of turning that inside out. That happens. Another thing that could be happening is she may just not physically feel good in her body. 
Um, you know, we all get run down. Sometimes we don't really take care of ourselves very well. We might not be eating real well. We might not be getting enough exercise. And all that stuff's relevant no matter what size you are. So do your homework. You know, figure out, okay, what's really getting me down? And two, what could I be doing that might help me feel better in my skin? You know, what can I do for myself? What can I do in terms of self-care that might help me feel happier just to be in the body that I have? Awesome advice. You know, sometimes, if I may, uh, when I say to people, not everyone needs to be an Adonis or a size zero, but, you know, I've told people maybe if you got some exercise, you'd feel better and more comfortable in your own skin and once your blood was moving. And I get calls back saying that even mentioning exercise in a context like this is to engage in fat shaming. Do you believe that's true? Obviously not, because you just mentioned exercise. You know, I don't think that's true. Actually, I have a book coming out in, um, in, Jan- in January of next year called the unapologetic fat girl guide to exercise and other incendiary acts. I am a big, big fan of exercise. I think exercise is really important and it's actually extremely important for your sex life. Um, Exercise is one of the best things that you can do for your overall health. And I mean that not, I'm not using that as, you know, a synonym for, for your weight or what you look like or what size clothes you wear, but you know, our bodies evolve to move. And if your body isn't moving it, you know, at least a moderate amount, chances are pretty good that your body's not actually going to feel all that fantastic. And if your body doesn't feel all that fantastic, you're not going to get horny as easily. You're not going to have as much fun with sex. You're not going to feel as good in your skin. For most people, most of the time, and again, it doesn't matter what you weigh, if you're not moving your body, you're just not going to feel as good and your sex life isn't going to be as good because you're not feeling as good in your skin. So I'm totally behind you on that. I don't think that's fat shaming. What I think is fat shaming is what if, if you were to point your finger at someone who was fat and say, the reason that you're having a crappy sex life is because you're fat because you don't exercise. And that's fat shaming because it assumes a lot that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it assumes that they're having a bad sex life because they're fat. It assumes that they're that they're fat because they don't exercise. Those things are not necessarily linked. I have a fantastic sex life and I'm fat and I <laughs> exercise. Which is awesome. I'm all for all three of those things and I'm all for you having an awesome sex life. While I have you on the phone, I want to ask you about um, something that's, that comes up a lot. I, I hear from uh, bigger girls, from, from fat girls, that you know they can't get a date or the guys who will date them won't date them publicly. They'll get booty calls from the guys who are attracted to them but those guys are too ashamed to date them. And, and my advice is usually that this tends to peter out uh, later that the guys who are into big girls uh, may be more driven by shame in their early 20s and late teens than they are later in life. They get over it. They begin to accept their own desires. They kind of have a coming out of their own to go through. But those years when uh, bigger girls are either not getting laid, not getting dates, or being date, you know, only getting dates who are ashamed of them can be really damaging psychologically, I think, for a lot of the big girls. How do you well, – what's your advice for those women that I hear from frequently on getting through those years? Well, my, my first bit of advice is that um, you are allowed to have standards, ladies. And if you're with someone who loves it in the sheets but can't stand it in the streets, you can tell him to hit the fucking road. It's really not that complex. And I realize that that's hard. I realize that that can be hard, especially if you're operating with that scarcity mentality, like, oh, my God, no one's ever going to want me again. I've got to take what I can get. Which the, which the, guys, the, the truth, guys use that to manipulate the big girls. That you can't doubt me because who else is going to Right. And so don't do that. Right. Don't they fall capitalize for that. on that. And, you know, why, why, why play that game? You know, why play that game? You know, so you don't have to play that game. You don't have to, um, you don't have to let people do that to you. You can just tell them, look, you know, if I'm not good enough for you to introduce to your friends, be seen in public with, then you're not good enough for me to sleep with. I think that's perfectly legit. I, I agree. The trick, though, for some, though, is that they get it in their heads that it's worse to be alone than to be with this. And so even, you know, don't operate on the scarcity mentality. There are other guys out there, but it's better to be alone for a while than to be with somebody who's manipulating you and shaming you like that. 
Well, Isn't it's it? better to be alone than to be abused. It's better to be alone than to be abused, and that's abuse. You know, it's it's not an, an over huge. You know, I'm not. You know, not. It's not a. You know, you're being beaten form of abuse. But it's abusive. If you're going to sleep with somebody, if you're going to you know extend that kind of desire to them and allow them access to your body and to be intimate with them in that way, then you owe them a little bit of basic human decency. And not giving them that, I think, frankly, is abusive. That's okay. non-consensual. The parallels of the gay experience in this, on this point are so bold uh, and so obviously apparent to me you know it's the gay guy who dates a closet case who won't acknowledge them in public uh-huh. it's damaging ding, 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 ding. it's really yes, it damaging is. and i'm always telling gay yes, guys not to is. do that and so i think i'm always telling the big girls don't date a guy who does that to you it's better to be alone i've said to gay guys than to be with the closet case it's better to be alone for a while yeah absolutely than be with somebody absolutely. who shames you like that i totally agree with you on that and you know and if you find yourself in a situation like that Consider it. I mean, be calculating. You are allowed, big, big girls, fat ladies, you know, you are allowed to be calculating about this. If the sex is hot and you're getting a lot of really good sex out of it and you're, and you're okay with that and you're okay with the fact that that's what you're getting, that's what you're there for, and it's okay that it's not also a social thing or a romantic thing, go for it. I know a lot of fat girls who've been in that position and who've kind of, you know, done the math and thought, well, you know what? It's the minute this stops being this much fun in the sack, I'm kicking him out. <laughs> I'm never going to see him again. And so, to, and I think you know that's fair. That is fair. Fair is fair. To use the user. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? If it's not damaging you emotionally, if it's not doing you psychological harm, to use the user can be very empowering. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Hannah Blank, thank you so much for joining us. She's the author of Straight, The Surprisingly Short History of Heterosexuality, and Big, Big Love, a book on sex and relationships for fat folks and the people who are attracted to them. What was the name of your next book that's coming out in the in the, in the winter? It's called um, the, the Unapologetic Fat Girl's Guide to Exercise and Other Incendiary Acts. And thank it's coming out from 10 Speed. Thanks so much for joining us. Hannah Blank. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE, and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a college student living in Southern California, and this call is essentially about my parents. Some background information. Uh, my parents are in what's basically what you call a companionship marriage, and I know they don't have sex nearly at all. Uh, My problem is this. My dad and I are kindred spirits. We're extremely close, and this only intensified when I moved an hour away to go to my university. My dad misses me like crazy. He texts me and calls every day, and when I come home, which is very often, every weekend, every other weekend, uh, he spoils me, takes me out to breakfast, and watches the TV shows I like with me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, this isn't to say I'm, you know, spoiled generally by any means. I'm a math major. I work really hard. This is just my dad <laughs> loving me and forming a bond with a member of his family. My mom in the past year or so has started to make a lot of comments about uh our relationship. She's directly suggested that there is a Lolita-esque element to it. She complains that I've replaced her in his affections. She's just really sensitive in general, even though he never really took her out on dates or anything like that. Um, Maybe when I was two or something. (laughs) I don't know. Um, When she's not complaining about my relationship with my dad, she tries to exploit it by having me ask him to do chores because he'll do it when I ask, and when she does, it just comes across as nagging. You know, I know you say not to get involved in our parents' relationships, but I feel really disgusted when she asks if there's anything sexual or even insinuates that 
I've replaced her in any way. So what should I do? Should I even do anything? Should I not be upset by my parents' relationship? I just, I don't think I've ever heard anything like this on your podcast, so. You say your parents have or have had a companionate marriage, that there's not a lot, there's no sex there, there's no romance, but they're companions, friends. Like a companionate marriage is about two people who, despite, you know, not they're not being a sexual bond, a lot of sexual attraction, enjoy each other's company, spend time together. And when you describe your relationship with your dad, I'm wondering where's the time left over in your dad's day for your mom? He texts and calls you every day. You're home every weekend or almost every weekend, at least every other weekend. And, you know, he takes you out for breakfast and you watch movies together and you watch whatever TV shows you want to watch together. And it all sounds a little, to me, inappropriate, as the kids say these days. It just sounds like you and your dad don't have a boundary or, or there aren't boundaries there. And I'm not saying that you're having an incestuous relationship with your father. I am not saying that. I'm saying that I can understand if I you know, project myself into your mother's shoes why I might be jealous. Not that, that you're fucking my husband but that – my husband is so wrapped up in you. My companion is so wrapped up in our child who has gone away to college, which is when you know usually parents and children draw a line and they have less contact, not more contact. Then my companion is so wrapped up in the life of his child that there's no attention, affection, companionship left over for me. I can understand why your mother would be upset. And I can, you know, and I detect, you know, when you laugh and about your mom, I detect a little bit of cruelty there. It just sounds very dismissive. And, you know, maybe you have a terrible relationship with your mother. Maybe your mother's a crazy bitch. I don't know. Just a phone call. We didn't talk for four or five hours about it. Um, but I think you need to draw a clear line with your dad. Let's pretend I'm your boyfriend and you're my girlfriend and we spend time together and a lot of the time we spend together, you're texting with your dad and you're taking phone calls from your dad and you're going home to see your dad every weekend. If I was your boyfriend, I'd be annoyed because that would seem not incestuous. That would just seem clingy and creepy and inappropriate. Not the kind of relationship an adult woman at college typically has with her father. Above and way fucking beyond, just close. I had a really close relationship with my mother. We were tight. We were not on the phone every day. I was not home every weekend from college. We went, we had great times. We would go out to dinner. We would hang out. You know, we went on a few trips together. She would come visit after I moved to Seattle. We were tight. We made time for each other. The time we made for each other didn't wind up excluding everyone else from our lives. And it wasn't stealing time from all the other relatives. It didn't steal time from my mother's husband and it didn't steal time from my mother's other children. And their other grandchildren. This sounds like you and your dad are so tight that nobody else can break in. I can understand why your mother would be hurt, particularly if not she was looking forward to you going away to college, but perhaps your mother was looking forward to a time when she and her husband could focus on each other again and perhaps bond again. And this time that your mother may have been looking forward to perhaps being the companion of the person she is in a companionate marriage with is now totally given over to his texting like a teenager all day long with his adult daughter. I can empathize with everything that your mother is saying and doing and feeling except the accusation of an incestuous relationship. That is a nuclear charge. But you need to project yourself into your mother's shoes and you need to start drawing some lines with your dad and having a more appropriate adult child relationship with your parent than you do right now. And I think you should take less delight in your father's cruelty, less delight than you seem to in this one call, in your father's cruelty and indifference to your mother's suffering. I find it kind of shocking. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old straight male. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been together since high school. Uh, at various points over the years, we talked about a monogamish uh, arrangement that would allow her to date other people. Um, and a couple of months ago, she met a guy that she really liked and asked me if she could date him. So this first attempt has 
not gone well thus far. I'm way more jealous than I thought I would be completely uncomfortable with her having sex with him, insecure about how I look compared to him and how I am in bed compared to him. Um, and then she's never really been a talker and just started her fourth year of vet school. So she's super busy all the time and doesn't like seeing me upset. So we haven't been able to communicate as much as I would like. Um, but she really likes this guy. She's happier than I've seen her in a while. So I don't want to be a dick and pull the plug on this too soon, but I also don't want to stick it out for too long and end up resenting her for it. Uh, so any advice you have on what I should do to work through my insecurities, how long is long enough for us to try this before I can say, you know, this isn't going to work, um, or even just, you know, good support resources for people like me would be greatly appreciated. Hey, it's Dan Savage. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Um, interestingly enough, a lot better because of something that I read when I was going through your entire archive. <laughs> so, what did you read in the archive that helped? I was reading you talking about um, times when cheating isn't really cheating mm -hmm. uh, because one partner can't meet the other's needs one way or another. Uh -huh. And I realized that... She had been trying to tell me during the last semester, I was really stressed with work, she was really stressed with school, um, that I wasn't there for her, and I just didn't hear her through my own sort of personal shit. Mm -hmm. um, and so she didn't feel like she had any other option, and she didn't want to just let me know other than just leaving me. And since she decided not to just leave me, uh, I sort of stopped feeling cheated on. And once that part was gone, suddenly the fact that she was having sex with him stopped bothering me. Okay. So wait, let me get this straight. So you were in a stressful time where you weren't able to meet her needs. And so she had to fuck this other guy to get her needs met. What needs were you failing to meet no. during the stressful time? The needs that she needed met were that she met a guy who liked her mm. and was spending time with her that when I was too busy with work and whatever else, um, and made her feel wanted and sex was sort of a side effect. Um, just cause when you have a relationship like that, you end up having sex with the person. Right. Um, so yeah. So it so with you there was intimacy. Sort of weird. So with you there was intimacy and love and a commitment, but with this other guy there was this spark that right now she wasn't getting from you. Right. Okay. And I mean, yeah, like I said, once I stopped feeling cheated on, um the rest of it sort of clicks for me. Uh -huh. Um and like I said, I had thought when we talked about this in the abstract that I would be okay with her seeing someone else because I know that she loves me and all that kind of stuff. And had this not happened at a time where our relationship uh, wasn't great, um, then I may have felt fine from the start. Uh-huh. So. Okay. So, you know, I was actually calling to not put the kibosh on this, but to, you know, cast some doubt on it. You were saying that, she wants, you know, to have sex with this other guy, but she doesn't want to talk about it. She's not very communicative. And that's bullshit. Like, in a, you, when you take a relationship that's been closed or default setting closed and, you know, the expectation that the commitment has been monogamous and you want to open it up, that takes work. The, 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 you know, you have to talk about it. You have to unpack it and discuss it and negotiate it with your current partner. You just don't get to say, I want to fuck this other guy. I hope that's okay. Too busy to discuss it. La 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 la, and then start fucking that other guy. She has right. to bring you and along. So, if her primary, you know, relationship is with you, and she wants this relationship, your relationship, yours and hers, to last and survive, she can't just throw you off the deep end or throw you into the deep end of the pool like that. She has to do her due diligence and bring you along. And it didn't sound like she was doing that and saying, "I'm in med school, and so I don't have time to do that." Well, if you're in med school and you don't have time to talk to your boyfriend, you don't have time to fuck somebody else either. Then. Uh, yes. And that is, like I said, I, I 
I feel loads better all of a sudden and I'm much more okay with it. And part of that has been instead of getting all weepy and trying to get her to talk to me about, um, you know, get her to apologize for what she did. Um, I sort of I've collected myself um, and I've come up with what I think are reasonable uh, rules that aren't me telling her what she's allowed to do with him, but uh-huh. things are uh, in our relationship. Okay, um, uh, this is like, this is so bizarre. This is like Bizarro World Dan Savage Lovecast call because you're fine with it, and I'm trying to make you not fine with weird. it. Because because I'm wondering if you haven't like constructed a rationalization for yourself that makes accepting what it sounds like a fait accompli. She just started doing this to preserve the relationship. Are you just swallowing this because you have no choice? Is it really what you want? Um, Are you allowed to fuck other so people? We started having that discussion before she left to work, then she left to work. Um, so we're finishing that tonight. Wait, wait, you're, you're finishing a discussion uh, later about whether you're allowed to fuck other people tonight? It's been like eight hours. Yeah, it'll be all right. Um, so, so wait, wait, wait. The, the wait no, no, stop, stop, stop. She's fucking somebody okay. else. She kind of jumped, you know, the starting gun and went and did it. You've come around and sort of retroactively okayed it, and yet it's still open for debate whether you're allowed the same freedoms that she's grabbed for herself. Like I was, I was trying to say, the only sort of the, the thing that we have to discuss is she doesn't know whether she would want me to tell her. Ah, okay. So she agrees that she can't go have sex with someone else and then tell me that I'm not allowed. She just isn't sure whether she wants me to come to her beforehand and say, um, I met this woman and I want to do whatever with her. Is that okay? Or if she wants me to just sort of do it. And, you know, as long as it doesn't impact her day to day life, um, sort of let it be my thing. Did she come to you before she fucked this guy and tell you in advance? Did she get your consent um, in advance? She thought that she did. Um, but, yeah, we both really botched the communication part. Um, you know, the onus is on her. The onus is on her in a situation like that. To, to, to make sure that she sticks the dismount in the communication part. Like, if she's going to run off and fuck somebody else, really, the responsibility is on her to make sure that communication was clear and unambiguous and your consent was obtained before it happened. Yeah. And she failed to um, do that. Did she not? Yes. Yes. I'm not, not still angry. Um, and I did tell her... Um, when I apologized for being a dick during the semester, that she still owed me an apology for the way that all of this sort of got started. Was it forthcoming? Um, Was it forthcoming? Did she apologize? No. It was at 5.30 in the morning, so I'm going to get adamant about that. Like I said, (laughs) we have to sit down and talk, you know. Okay. You, you need to um, hammer some things out with with your girlfriend. It sounds like you're being manipulated. It sounds like you're being, you know, you must really love her because she's behaved badly. And, you know, there all of us who are in long-term relationships have forgiven partners who've behaved badly because everybody behaves badly in turn in long-term relationships. There's no such thing as a long-term relationship without there having been forgivenesses and betrayals and betrayals and forgivenesses. So I'm not saying that you are wrong to be doing what you're doing right now, but you've sort of, you know, found a way to forgive her, to justify her actions, to see things from her side and to give her permission to go out and do what she's already doing and sort of backdate that permission slip to before it started. And, and, and that's fine. But you have to then, now that you've done that, put your foot down and say, we can't keep it up like this. It can't, you can't just, uh, that this can't keep rolling like this, where you take and then tell and then I forgive and accept, right? Because then you're just kind of an abused spouse who's being jerked around. If you are her priority, if this relationship is your priority, you can retroactively accept that she's fucking somebody else and you're in kind of 
a monogamish place right now or a polyamorous place right now. But communications from here on out have to be healthy and respectful. Consent needs to be obtained. She can't hem and haw and sit on a fence about whether you can sleep with other people. You have to be entitled to the same freedoms that she's in, granted herself. Uh, agreed. And part of the assertiveness is I was thinking about ground rules that, like I said, are about us and not so much about you know me trying to tell her what to do with him. So things like saying that, if she's not going to make an effort to make sure that I'm getting at least an equal share of her sexual output, oh my then mm-hmm. it, it's done. You um, know, a, a, time, kind of, a timeshare girlfriend is a difficult thing to, to make work, right? You know, you don't want yeah. her pity fucking you or fucking you out of a sense of obligation or keeping track like, you know, dividing up ice cream for two children, making sure it's exactly even and equal. Is going to be difficult. Like you have to feel like she's with you because she wants to be with you. And then one of the reasons she wants to be with you is she can be with this other guy also. And that's, you know, something, a point in your favor as a, as the, as a primary partner and the partner is that being with you doesn't mean she can't also do that and that she loves you all the more for that. What you don't want to feel like is if I evaporated, she'd be with him. Right. Right. And, and she that makes was it, the it, whole cheating thing because yeah. I felt like when she was when I felt like she had cheated on me sort of hurt me if not on purpose then just sort of because she wasn't thinking about me that is on purpose <laughs> I, I don't yeah. mean to laugh if she's but, not thinking about me yet yeah if you're in a relationship with somebody for you know five six seven years just running out and fucking somebody else without saying anything about it is to hurt them on purpose if they didn't think right. about and it say, and didn't think that that might be hurtful, then it's as bad or worse than just intentionally hurting because that's hurting plus disqualifying stupidity and callousness on the part of your partner. She says, and I believe her when she says it, that the actual sex part didn't come until after she asked me about beating him, which is where our communication broke down because I didn't realize that by saying okay and then trying to talk to her about what that was going to mean, she would take that to mean that I was telling her, go, you know, do everything, including fucking this other guy, mm-hmm. um, while we hashed this out. She's, and, um, yeah. She needs to get to a much more honest place and stop making self-serving assumptions about what means what. And you yeah. need to are, – are you a liberal, may I ask? Very. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, Bob Dole famously said of liberals – wait, wait, wait. Bob Dole famously said of liberals that a liberal is a man who won't take his own side in an argument. You need to start taking your own side in this argument with your girlfriend. Okay? You need to stop seeing it from her point of view and constructing arguments that she could have made that make what she's done more acceptable to you. And you need to make your own case and make your own arguments and make sure you're not being used, manipulated to, lied to, played, and betrayed in this relationship. Because that's not a healthy place to be. And you're only 23 fucking years old. Right? And you guys can both move on. And you might be better off without somebody who's going to manipulate you like this and make you feel like this than you are with this person. And so you guys need to have a long, drawn-out... If I were you, if I if this was my situation, I would tell her it's over with the other guy until we're in a better, healthier place. Period. The end. And if you can't commit to working with me for six months until we can then open it up in a healthy way, then it's over. You ha- There's some talking you need to do with your girlfriend. You keep It sounds like the conversation began this morning and is going to continue when she gets home. And you guys really need to talk it out. And you need to start advocating for yourself and stop constructing arguments she could have made and then giving her your retroactive okay. I'm not saying go ballistic and pour napalm all over everything. Be calm, be chill. You can see things from her point of view, but you need to start seeing things from your own point of view too and advocating for yourself in all of this. Okay. Okay. Good luck, man. Yeah. Hi, Dan. Um, 
I, I know you really, really clearly were bending over backwards to spare the guy's ego in uh, episode 299, whose girlfriend just turned 30 and dumped him, and he wants he wants to let her lie. Uh, but I, I think somebody should say this to him outright. Dude, maybe the reason she's dumping you is because you're the sort of guy who, when dumped, demands a letter asking why in explicit detail. You're that kind of guy. That's why it's over. Get over it. Hi, uh, this is in regard to podcast 299, the woman whose boyfriend likes her to bite down on his cock. I'm calling because I discovered recently that that's just sort of a lot of fun if done in the right way. I recommend that she use the molars gently and in a sort of chewing motion and not aim for the cutting teeth in front. And I'd also recommend that if she doesn't feel comfortable biting down, if she leaves her mouth, her teeth open in the right way and he aims to the side, he can rub up and down along those sharp tops and bottoms to his heart's content in a way that pleases him. And then she doesn't have to feel quite so responsible. He's the one who's doing it on her teeth. Thanks. Hey, Dan, just listened to the latest podcast when you were uh, giving advice to the guy who wanted a letter about being dumped. You mentioned something about three ways just don't happen in straight land with exes. Uh, and as a straight guy who's had a couple threesomes, um, actually they do. Uh, my threesomes have only happened with exes. Uh, the secret is is to date by women. And when you leave the relationship uh, in a good state and their next partner is a female, um, wonderful things can happen. So there you go. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a call or question for a future show, give us a buzz. Once again, 206-201-2720. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. And you can leave a comment online uh, on any show you care to comment on at www.thestranger.com slash lovecast. And me and the tech savvy Antrus Youth are back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.